I love traveling in Turkey. And of course, Istanbul is one of the great cities on this planet. But the magic of Turkey is in the countryside. And for me, the most accessible and exotic and memorable chunk of Turkey is right in the center in a region called Cappadocia. Cappadocia. And that's what we're talking about today. Joined by two friends from Turkey, two Turkish guides, Lali Aran and Taylan Tashbashi. Lali and Taylan, thanks for joining us. Thank you. Thank you for inviting, Rick. Now, Lali, when you think about Cappadocia, describe the, the wonder of this terrain. When people are traveling through there, why is it exceptional? Oh, Rick, there is so much to say about it. But first, I want to tell you my very first impression of Cappadocia. I remember the first time I visited Cappadocia with my parents. It was many, many years ago. I was a child. And I had fallen asleep in the car as we drove. And my parents woke me up as we arrived in Cappadocia. I opened my eyes, and I wasn't sure if it was still a dream or we had arrived there. It was like following the white rabbit. I just could not believe my eyes. It was so spectacular. Those magical pinnacles dwarfed me, and I just couldn't believe. It's like it, it felt like an ice cube rolling down my spine gave me goosebumps. And because of these fairy chimneys. Fairy chimneys, the landscape, it's... It's undescribable. Well, you have to describe it because I we're have on the to radio. Describe <laughs> it. Um, it looks. Some parts of it looks like sand dunes of different colors. Yeah. But they are not soft. But they the, are rock eroded by the wind. That's why it looks like wavy, like the sand dunes. Thailand. How would you describe the Cappadocia countryside that that Lali well, was so impressed? By? Actually, uh, Lali was really good <laughs> yeah. describing it all. Uh, Nature-wise, it's nothing to compare with. A lot of people say they look phallic, they, don't they? They, you wake they up do, and There's yeah. a big, tall they shaft they do. with a bigger rock on top of it. And why do you have a bigger rock supported by a skinny shaft of sandstone? It's because this area is formed with volcanic debris, and inside the volcanic debris we have harder stones such as basalts. Okay. That remained the way it is while... The rest is washed out with wind and rain and other So the wind and the weather makes these pinnacles skinnier and skinnier with the big rock sitting on top. Exactly. And you wake up and you think you've just had some sort of a crazy dream. Uh, My first time I went to Cappadocia, our guide got us there after dark. So in the morning, we woke up and we looked out the window. What is this? Now, what really compounds the wonder of this place is all the troglodyte settlements people living in caves today and people living in caves a couple thousand years ago. Lolly, tell us about the people who live in the caves of Cappadocia. When you think of ancient living, people used whatever they had to live in, whether it was trees to build homes, whether it was hatches to build roofs. And in Cappadocia, it was the soft volcanic rock that they could dig into and live. Even if they could cut the stone and make stone blocks to build, they didn't prefer because the caves carved out of the volcanic rock preserved the heat year-round. Ah, so it would be warmer in the winter and cooler in the exactly. summer. Exactly. Nice. The area is about a 1,000 meters above the sea level, and it's dry. It's cold in the winter, hot in the summer. But when you are in a cave carved in a volcanic rock, the temperature is constant around here in 61 Fahrenheit. Is there something about this rock that when you cut into it. It's easy to cut into, but when yes. air gets to it, it becomes it, hard. Yes, it hardens. So it's perfect. It's made to order for economic construction with crude tools. Exactly. You've got a history with these troglodyte settlements. Thailand, tell us about the very earlier 
communities that lived in these underground settlements and settlements built, dug into the walls of these cliffs and so on. We can say that uh, there have been occupation around uh, in Cappadocia since the Bronze Age periods. Which is what centuries, roughly? Which is around like 2000 BC, 3000 BC, wow. roughly around, mm-hmm. starting from 3000 BC onwards. So these people were looking for shelter that they started digging underground cities or rock cliff houses. There's the obvious idea that you get out of the weather. Is there also an idea that you get away from your enemies? Of course. Uh, because the rock is very soft that you can carve, people carved underground cities to take shelter in war times. And these underground cities, they expanded them as their necessity increased. So you dig another put... level down when you have exactly. more children. Exactly. There are underground cities that go eight floors down eight on the ground. Eight floors down. And which can accommodate approximately 5,000 people at a time. Whoa. They are huge. It's like an ant's hole, but actually for people. But actually, from an invader's point of view, hiding out with a few very discreet entryways. Exactly. So you could have a handful of entryways that would be camouflaged, seven or eight stories deep, Mm -hmm. 5,000 people living Mm -hmm. down there, as various groups of marauding invaders invaders go over and look, where are those guys? And they're all holding their breath very quiet underground. And in these underground cities, there are churches, there are wineries. The production, the life continued. I'll never forget my first visit, Kaimakli. What do you see when you go into the underground city of Kaimakli? The first level you enter to, you enter into the stable where they kept the animals. Because life had to go on, even if they had to take shelter, They needed their animals for their milk, for their eggs, for their meat, for transportation now and then. And they had cellars, storages. You get to see a church. You get to see places where the wine is, grapes are crushed. Life continued, but only under the ground, not above the ground. It's amazing. I'm Rick Steves. This is Travel with Rick Steves. We're talking about troglodytes in the center of Turkey, Cappadocia, one of the most evocative and magical landscapes anywhere you could find as you travel. Uh, Our phone number is 877-333-7425. You can email us at radio at ricksteves.com. And Gail's on the phone in Chicago, Illinois. Gail, thanks for your call. Hi, thanks, Rick. Have you been to Cappadocia? Yes, I have. I was there in 2008. How would you describe this landscape that we are uh, trying to paint a picture of? It was otherworldly. It was like being on another planet. It was amazing. But probably the best views we had of it, we did the underground tours. We saw some of the cave dwellings that people still live in today with the satellite dishes outside. Quite elegant. I thought it was like better homes and caves, you know. (laughs) But uh, one of the highlights of our whole tour was the hot air balloon ride. Now tell us about that. Um, It was a little expensive. A bus picked us up at our hotel at like 4 in the morning. Because of the winds, you need to do it early in the day. And we were taken to a field and went up in the balloon. And amazingly, as the sun was rising, all these balloons were also rising in the air. There had to be 20, 25 different, different balloons. Now, I understand that, uh, first of all, it's a little bit expensive. What would it cost for one person to take a balloon ride across Cappadocia? It was about $200. $200 per person. How long did the ride take? Um, it was a good hour that we were in the air. Okay, and I understand also that a, a reputable company basically does one ride a day in the morning when the air is um, safe. Correct. So what it was like floating over all of these uh, 
fairy chimneys and troglodyte communities. Paint well, us a picture. Well, we had the um, view was amazing to see all of this from a different perspective. And we did have some men on our balloon that urged the driver to take us up even higher. So he took us up to probably, I think he said, 1,000 feet, huh. which was really... <laughs> can they control where they're blowing, or they just go wherever the wind blows them? Um, they can control it with putting more hot air in, makes it rise higher. And well, that's up and down, but what about left and right? They yeah. follow the air currents. They just follow the air currents, so they don't know exactly where they're going to go on this trip. I think they have measurements to figure out okay. the direction. Lolly, have you had some of your travelers take the balloon ride? Yes. And how is their experience generally? People love it. Yeah. And as Gail says, it's a little expensive, but if you can afford it, you should try it. Well, it's just it's uh, twi- it's it's twice awesome. as expensive as a gondola ride in Venice. I suppose that's uh, quite an experience to have once in your life. Uh, how many people in a balloon generally? Depends on the balloon company and the balloon that you're using. Some balloon companies are smaller and don't cater mass travel are there six industry. or eight people on a balloon? or, or Those what? are the more expensive companies, six to eight oh. in, a, in a basket. And the cheaper ones? Cheaper ones can hold up to 20 people 20 in a people on a balloon blowing mm-hmm. across Cappadocia mm-hmm. in the middle of Turkey, trying not to land on one of those ferry chimneys. The pilots are very talented, actually. They land exactly on the spot they should. Is it safe? Have people ever uh, been hurt doing this? It is fairly safe, but yes, in the past there had been some accidents with, with some injuries. Gail, did you feel safe? Uh, yes, I did. I would have been nervous. I I was, but it was an unbelievable experience. So you'd say it's a risk worth taking. Worth taking, well worth taking. Gail, when you were in Cappadocia, tell me about uh, not just this uh, cave dwellers and not this bizarre uh, geology, but what about the towns that you were visiting and the markets and, and the contemporary lifestyles? Um, it was... Probably what you would find in most rural-type areas. There were towns of people, and they had little markets. Mostly we saw the souvenir kind of market places. So a fair amount of tourism. Yes. And what was the sightseeing highlight for you, other than the balloon ride? Probably going into the underground caves to see where people lived. And it amazed me that during those times that they could carve out these caves and passageways, and we often had to duck going through it so you wouldn't hit your head. But they would have fires down there. They had, like they said, churches. They had kitchens. and Quite remarkable engineering, really, to have thousands of people living underground when you figure sewage and uh, ventilation and smoke and fires and cooking and animals and yeah. old people and young people. Yes, it was. All right. Gail, thanks for your call. Okay, thank you. Lolly and Thailand, when we're thinking about Cappadocia, and we're thinking of this desolate, in the middle of nowhere terrain, were the Christians who were fleeing persecution, did they have any part of this sort of uh, history of Cappadocia? Yes. Uh, in the first century A.D., as they were fleeing from the Romans, those that were in knowledge of existence of Cappadocia took shelter in Cappadocia, enlarged the underground cities that had already been existing, and um, for a while, I should say, till the 4th century A.D., they carried on a life that's kind of under the ground, mm-hmm. safer, and only started enjoying freedom of being under the sun after the 4th century A.D. 
So for several centuries, these yes. communities, just not because there was an imminent problem, but they just thought, in general, it's better if we lay low, literally. They laid low until Very Constantine low. the Great. Legalized Christianity. Exactly. The year, what, 310 or something, 312 or something like that. Thailand, if you're in Cappadocia and you're inspired by all of these troglodyte historical cave dwellings, Talk about ways a tourist can actually sleep in a cave. Are there any, any hotels that give you that experience? There are. There are quite a lot, actually. We see a lot more uh, being modernized, rebuilt, refurbished, and better accommodations now they can... But there are little humble, little boutique there hotels are, that give are. you this troglodyte yeah. experience. Well, sometimes a villager lady just opens up her house for people to stay in. Oh, like a bed and breakfast sort of yeah, thing? Yeah, yeah. What's the word for bed and breakfast in Turkey? Pansion. Pansion. Yeah. And you actually see that? Yeah. Pansion. I'm Rick Steves. This is Travel with Rick Steves. We're talking about traveling in the heartland of Turkey, Cappadocia. My favorite town in Cappadocia is Guzeliert. I believe Guzeliert means... The beautiful land. The beautiful land. Lali, when you're in Guzeliert, what are you likely to see as a way of connecting with a traditional community? To feel like you're... uh, To me, it was a timeless town. First of all, what I'd like to say is that Guzeliert is a place... It feels as if time stopped in the 12th century A.D., It really is. And um, a good way to make friends, mingle with the locals, would be to go to the center of the village where there are shops, a tea shop. Go into the shops, join people as they do their shopping. It can be the butcher shop, the barber shop. Have a shave. Have a shave. Go to a tea house, play backgammon with some people. Exactly, that would be the way. Or if you're in Guzaliurt in a weekend, I would suggest to stroll the streets because there are some public fountains where women go out to wash their weekly laundry. Still? Still. And this must be a sort of a community gathering place for the women. It is. Mornings on the weekends. I understand. This is where Gregorian chants originated, or what's the story about early church music there? St. Gregory is from Cappadocia. As in Gregorian chants? Yes. Local of Cappadocia, a village called Nazians, which is just a few kilometers, miles from Guzaliurt. And St. Gregory lived his life in the village of Guzaliurt. And there's a church which we know that was built by St. Gregory himself. And many of the principles of the Orthodox Church started out from that church with the practices that St. Gregory himself initiated. So there's amazing history. There's amazing contemporary vivid slices of life. There's amazing just natural sightseeing as you travel around Cappadocia. Thailand, if somebody is interested in checking out Cappadocia, first of all, how big is the region and what's the best way to get there? Um, The size of uh, Yellowstone, as a comparison. It's like a national park almost. Yeah. Uh, How do we get there? Well, from Istanbul, every day we have flights to two cities, Nevşehir and Kayseri, which Kayseri is a much bigger uh, city than Nevşehir. So easy flights from Istanbul to Kayseri and from there buses to the the various towns. From various, you can take a bus and an hour takes in about. In Lali, I understand Turkey is pretty much a high plateau. Central Turkey is. Central Turkey. So you'll have different weather than on the coast. How would the weather compare? Cappadocia has a dry climate, which Mm -hmm. is cold in the winter and hot in the summer. But neither the cold nor the heat in the summer bothers you because it's dry. Okay, Lali, I found my beautiful little troglodyte guest house and I'm in Cappadocia, and I'm going to have a breakfast that's typical of this region. What would I have for breakfast? There would be cucumbers, tomatoes, olives, few kinds of cheese, butter, homemade jam, honey, and very delicious fresh bread. And tea. Nice. In Thailand, after my hike down the valley and climbing through some of these troglodyte communities, what would I have for lunch? For lunch, you'll probably get a pottery kebab. 
A pottery kebab, a what is that? A pottery kebab, they cook a stew, actually, kind of like a stew inside a clay pot. They seal it and they just cook it for hours. They serve you. Before they serve you, they have to break the pot so that you can get your lunch. Sounds like a beautiful and tasty region to check out. Thailand Tashbashi and Lali Aran, Teshekur. Thank you, Rick. I say Teshekur, right? Yes. Teshekur. Rijaideris. Pishedik. Rick Steves teaches smart travel to Turkey, Greece, and beyond. At ricksteves.com, you'll find an archive of interviews from his radio show, free audio tours, a monthly travel newsletter, and a world of information to help you turn your travel dreams into smooth and affordable reality. To gear up for your next Greek or Turkish adventure, begin your trip at ricksteves.com. <laughs>